Hello, this is Douglas Jackson, and you're in Book City, Roanoke, where we're focusing on equity and engagement at the intersection of books and place in Roanoke, Virginia. My guest today is Brad Stevens. He's a good friend of Book City Roanoke and the Book City Roanoke podcast. In fact, he's the one who made this thing happen to begin with. Uh, and I, uh, so I, I've got to say thank you to him. But I've also got to say thank you for all the work that he does in the community. Uh, now, Brad works in, you know, professionally in workforce development, but he also is behind a lot of cool things that happen in the town. So we got to talk about Big Lick Soup which was a kind of a crowdfunded uh, project that was a heck of a lot of fun and ran for a number of years. Um, and the simple funding process that's uh, where groups of families get together and they fund projects that are good for the community. And he's uh, part of the Social Possibilities Lab and does a number of other cool things. First, let me say that our theme is Alone Together. And we want to talk about what pulls us into community and then what stands us apart. And that's probably a, a, a good theme for, the, for these days where we're you know, working together differently and, and not together as much as we want in, in person. Um, and we are going to talk about a book, but we're going to talk about, talk about other things too. But the book we're going to talk about today, and this is the first time we've done this on the podcast, talking about one, one single book. Um, is Bel Canto by Ann Patchett. And Brad said he was reading it, and I said, that's in my stack. I want to read that too. I'm going to read it along with you, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, I don't think when I said that he knew he was going to be pulled into the podcast to talk about it. But Brad, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Let me ask you first, how do you, how do you describe yourself and the work that you do? I, I don't know. Um uh, community organizer maybe is the best term for it in some ways, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I'd rather talk about books than that in some ways. So. Okay. <laughs> okay. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was just thinking about it and some of the most interesting people, you can't really pin them down in, in one way or another. Um, I wanted to do justice in describing you. Uh, and no, I thought you, I thought it was great. I, it, you know, my dad uh, has this thing. I think you and I have talked about it where he is, he's he heard somewhere that you're supposed to, instead of asking someone what they do, ask him about the last book that they read. And so that's an easier question to answer in some ways. Than well, the, what do I do question? Well, well, now you've got to answer it. What was the last book you read? Um, right now I am in the middle of um, uh, a Dion Meyer mystery thriller type thing. Um, He's a South African author, and I really appreciate uh, how he deals with contemporary South African context. So uh, I'm a big fan of international literature of all stripes and sorts and a big mystery thriller fan. So it's uh, it all goes together there. All right. When I, when I go to the bookstore, I'm looking for the names I can't pronounce, and I'm like, that's got to be a pretty good book if I can't pronounce the name on the on the cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was in a bookshop not long ago. Well, it was a while ago now. It was, gosh, it was more than a year ago. And they had a fantastic uh, whole wall of independent press books, books in, you know, in translation that you wouldn't find in other places. And I, and I loved it. And I was talking with Dolores Vest down at Book No Further in Roanoke, and she sells some international titles. And from unusual presses and says they move really well when she has them 
which which I was mm. really happy to hear. One of the last books I read was Bel Canto. And I'm also reading The Dutch House right now. I'm almost done with it. I start, started that this weekend, and it, it's pulled me right along. So apparently I'm on an Ann Patchett kick. <laughs> State of Wonder coming up next. There it, it is in the – yes. It's in the, it's, I also have – I've had that for years, and it's in the stack. I think my mom had passed it on to me. But why did you first pick up Bel Canto? I actually tried Bel Canto probably five or six years ago and got – 30, 40 pages into it and just wasn't, wasn't resonating for me. And so I, uh, this year, what, you know, I've been uh, setting goals more, trying to read a little bit more as we've been in these weird times. So uh, kind of said, well, let's try it again. You know, I, I keep hearing good things about Ampatcha. This seems like a good way into it. Um, so then kind of kicked in and was, I have to confess to being drawn in pretty quickly this time around. I was, uh, in preparation for our conversation today, I was reading some reviews that commented on the slow pace of it, which I have to confess, I did not find it to be slow for me. So uh, I don't know what they were what they were finding there. But yeah, I, I very much, I wouldn't put it in my top 10 list anywhere, but very enjoyable book, I would say. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I had a really similar experience and I, I don't think I read 30 or 40 pages. Usually, usually when I've read that much, I guess go ahead and, and commit commit to it i think i read maybe three pages and was like ah and and i I had no interest in it um and i but i also i typically won't read the cover i'll just start reading the 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 book and it didn't maybe if i knew where it was headed i would have um i would have kept going with it that time and yeah i i thought it pulled me right along and it's got such a tight setting uh it's and you, you feel like you're in good hands with it. As soon as I started, as soon as I got started reading, I said, "Yeah, I'll, I think I'll, I think I'll enjoy this this time." Of course, one of my one of my neighbors, I said I was reading it, and he immediately told me what, it, like, gave me the whole you know summary of what it was based on. And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute!" I don't, I don't I'm like, I'm like, I don't read the jacket copy. I don't read the jacket copy. <laughs> he just kind of looked at me like I was nutty. Yeah. Well, so if you were writing the jacket copy, what would you say about this book? So the, the, the challenge here is, of course, to say enough to get you intrigued without giving too much away, right? So, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it's something about um, the power of unexpected circumstance to, uh, to provide uh, moments of clarity and, and uh, um, but also about strange bedfellows, probably. So that would probably be the, the the winning title that would get people to read the book is you know, what happens when terrorists and opera fans hang out together. Type yeah. stuff. Well, that's a great alternate title. I, did you did you read any? Sometimes they talk about this in reviews. I I I think maybe I I'm getting confused now about books. But somewhere I read recently about a book that had a, an earlier working title that. That was changed. Do you know if this book had a had a different title? I she, don't. I she don't mi- know. She might have considered strange bedfellows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so what so the the general gist is that there's a birthday party for a wealthy Japanese businessman, and they bring in Roxanne Koss, the world-renowned singer, opera singer, to perform for him, knowing that he 
loves the singer and has seen her in any number of countries. And this particular country is interested in the investment of his corporation in their in their country in building in building a factory. And then and then what happens? So then they're taken hostage by terrorists, um, a group of freedom fighters, so to speak, uh, take over, uh, come into the assembly. And uh, then we have, that's probably, I don't know, maybe 20 pages in that we, we kind of get to that point. And then the remaining 300 pages are what happens over the next, it kind of feels indeterminate. I don't know how long she was anticipating, but it feels like a long time, even if it's uh, wasn't technically a long time uh, in days that uh, of what kind of happens in a space where the terrorists don't know what they really want anymore and the hostages aren't in a great hurry to leave kind of what happens in that, in that space yeah maybe maybe it's a bit like this covid time sense of time everyone says it's it's changing or it feels different to them than time typically does but i yeah would imagine that where the where the days and nights each seem the the same there there's some interesting plot turns along the way but it, and at one point there was even that kind of atmospheric kind of the is it a the fog uh, kind of a, you know it's gray and and mm-hmm. you can barely you can't see that much and it in that sense kind of surrounds that the vice president's house the, the throughout it seems and until till toward the end yeah. yeah. Well, um, and we won't give any, we won't spoil it for any, for anybody. <laughs> Talk a little bit about how you, how you see the relationships building uh, between the, the hostages and the terrorists. Yeah. So, I mean, early on, it becomes clear, right, that the president is not there and that's who they, the, the hostage takers came for the freedom fighters. Um, and they, uh, so they are left in a conundrum of not knowing what to do next. And so this kind of leads to the stalemates. And I, I, um, I have to say that I, I have immense respect for how Ampatchet kind of navigated those relationships. One in particular between um, Roxanne Koss and uh, the Japanese businessman. I kind of, when it first, uh, when that relationship took a particular turn, uh, I was like, okay, well, this feels like something that I'm not going to be as interested in now that we kind of have you know, kind of uh, you cut into the cake and it's not as interesting as you thought it was going to be. But she handled it in such a way that I found myself just continuing to be interested in the development of those relationships over the course of the book, which I, uh, I thought was really powerful. Um, and then winding up in a, in a place where um, uh, people have strong enough relationships. And I think this, uh, maybe this is a comment on the heat of how uh, relationships formed in heat can become very strong very quickly. Uh, but I think there's also something there about um, uh, uh, kind of the, one of the main takeaways for me was about how taking out, putting yourself in a different situation allows you to, to engage with people in different ways than you would have before thinking particularly of the vice president who was one of my favorite characters to kind of follow through the whole through the whole thing and his journey into becoming uh, a better person maybe by the end of it i i don't i, I don't know 
if that would be true, but someone who has a very different role and, and responsibility in their in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see, and he's, he becomes a bit of a a caretaker. Remember, he's he's mm-hmm. he's the host, and he remains the host uh, throughout, and, and very very visibly. How would you describe the the transition in the early stages for say the say the Japanese businessman? You know, he's an interesting one because I don't feel like he was ever scared, which is interesting writing in some ways. That you know, um, he who has the most to lose is also not. Uh, not as worried as some other folks in the audience are. You know, I think about the French gentleman who, um, uh, uh, as someone with a with a daughter, the the thought of missing your your family on the outside feel very strong. Whereas uh, Mr. Hosokawa uh, was in a space where he didn't seem to have that much to miss, and almost immediately was drawn to that kinship with Roxanne Cost. And so I, I do think. Um, but I do think there's something really compelling about the variety of responses to that immediate situation and then it transitioning into something more long-term and the, the kind of, for me, the um, pivotal moment of when uh, Roxanne Cost sang for the first time, that felt like a moment when everything changed in that community and it became, uh, everybody became more comfortable after that point. That's a really powerful point in the novel, and I, I agree on Mr. Hosokawa. I, it it felt like he was he was ready. He was almost waiting for something like this in in his life. And there were a number a number of people in that situation on the freedom fighter side, on the hostages side, were in that same boat. They were, in a way, waiting for something. Uh, and many of them found that something in, in this situation or found a something to bring them a little bit more to life in, in the situation. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, how many of us are pulled along by the momentum of things in our life and don't take moments to step outside and think about what we really want to be doing in those moments. And this felt like it's a very clear moment of saying, you know, the way you have been operating cannot function for the next three months as we're stuck in this moment. So we need to come up with new understandings and that allows us in those spaces to be, uh, you know, I think the, the cliche answer would be to be the, a fuller version of yourself, but in some ways I think it's more just, uh, you get to explore a different side of your personality, different desires that you haven't allowed yourself to, to explore before. Kind of tying this to the our COVID period, does that seem to apply currently? I I think so, and I think that I've heard a number of folks. It's interesting, you know. I um, I had you on my podcast recently, you know, quarantine conversations with my friends, and uh, it's been interesting to track these, you know, and to have these intentional conversations with people. And I feel like uh, we're now one of the things I've gleaned from those is we're now at this kind of point where um, the impetus for real 
change is gone in some ways. Like people are getting back to life more as normal. People are going back out to restaurants. You know, my wife and is going to Target occasionally, which these are things we didn't do for five months, and now we're doing them again. And so it's um, uh, in some ways we're coming out of the crucible. It feels like, even though obviously the the threat is just as real as it's ever been, perhaps more so. Uh, but now we're coming, we're seeing who we've turned into during that time, uh, time alone or time, uh, time with our and small company. So it's, uh, I think, uh, for me, you know, I think there are certainly opportunities that I seize, but there are also things I would have wished I could have done differently that didn't happen. Generally, I feel like we're aiming to go back to the same place that we came out, we were before this all started. And one would hope that we could come up with a better situation and that this is, you know, this is similar to a, um, you know, a Katrina where you could build up better levees, build up better social networks. Afterwards, you could build up better safety and relief net situations. Um, and yet we always seem to grasp a small portion, but never as much as we could uh, in that time. What have you grasped? You know, what changes have, have you made during this period? Uh, well, I've been exercising a ton, eating better. Um, you know, I've lost about 80 pounds since this all started. So that's uh, a major change. But I do think uh, for me, looking back on this time will probably in many ways be about the family stuff that I think we've, we've grown as a family. You know, I have a three-year-old and we got to see some incredible milestones. I got to be home for her to do some things for the first time. You know, I, we were... Um, I don't know if I've told you this story, but we were, uh, I had a 10 o'clock meeting one morning and I'm, I'm home by myself watching her. Sarah's still at work. Uh, and at nine 30, I was like, I want to go on a walk. It's like, oh, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Okay, fine. We'll go around the block, but we got to be back by 10 o'clock. Okay. And we go, we're somewhere on the other side of the block and I'm like, come on, bro, just gotta get this over with. And she sees a plumber's van there that was doing some work on somebody's house. And she, points at it and she reads the letters on the side, which I don't remember what they're like, e, you know, EWK or something like that. I'm like, How, what? Okay, this is phenomenal. I would <laughs> never have seen that before. Thank you. Uh, thank you for making me remember how precious this time is. So I, I think that those moments will be uh, the big things. And it's prioritized things in some ways for me, like the projects that feel most important are now the ones that I'm most focused on. The projects that feel less important are, you know, whatever. We'll get to them if we can, but let's finish these ones that feel important uh, in some ways now. Well, those feel like important things that will remain with you past COVID. I hope so. I think they will. Um I think we've, and that perhaps that's the biggest thing in some ways is, you know, we had, you know, we, I w I've been back in the office for three months now, I think. Um, and so, but that left, you know, four months when we were at home, which is more than enough time to fill the habit. Right. So what, whatever that saying is about how many weeks or how many times you have to do something before you form a habit and, you know, for exercise stuff. Now I feel like crap if I don't, at least take a decent walk on a day, much less, uh, much better if I run. So it's, you know, that, uh, that's something that I don't think is going to go away anytime soon. So, um, but, but who knows, you know, life is changes in funny ways and we are not the same people from one day to the next. So who knows what, 
the next five years brewing here, but mm -hmm. uh, they seem their pattern is worth holding on to and attempting to hold on to. Mm -hmm. And it's a it is a rare opportunity to to step back a little bit, do a little reflection, uh, consider what's important to you, um, and hopefully this this period's been been part of part of you know, that's driven that for a lot of people. I, you know, w w we hope. Uh, and similarly, in in the book, you get the sense, and they they say any, any number of characters say in one way or the other that they acknowledge how rare their opportunity is in that space, and they they almost they, you know, they don't want it to end. Um, part of part of me in that was, you know, and of course I'm a, I'm as guilty as anybody or guiltier of not being able to be in the moment often and I'm projecting forward into the future and I'm going backwards and thinking about how I screwed something up. Um, but that, you know, kind of projecting forward in the book, I was, I was reading it. I was like, Oh, I can't imagine how this is going to end. Uh, and more importantly, I was like, I can't imagine how this is going to end well. Uh, and we get ourselves in these situations or we're in a situation and, um, yeah, I, it, it, uh, yeah, we won't talk about how how it how it ends, but I I think we're all similarly here in this period right now. And you said maybe we're going back or coming back coming out of it a little bit. I almost feel like a lot of people are taking a little quick break and saying, "Well, let me do something now because we don't know what it's going to be like later mm -hmm. in the fall." Um, yeah, yeah. So, and we we you know we're playing the part of a normal person for a little, for a little bit. So. Well, it is, I think it's interesting uh, to frame it that way because I do think, uh, and I haven't uh, considered this before, but none of the characters, you know, seeing how it ended, none of the characters, uh, even though they made decisions that uh, in some ways you might be like, why would you allow yourself to be in that situation knowing that it's going to, how it might end, uh, but none of them seem to regret how things played out in that moment, even though some of them allowed them. So, and so maybe it's a, a comment or an invitation for us all to be better about that. Uh, you know, something that may not last still leaning in and allowing it to be what it is for that period of time and, and taking what we can out of it. There's change in characters, and they're, like you said, strange bedfellows, that change is in relationship to other characters. What meaning did you see in that, in the pairings, or was there any meaning in the pairing? Did it matter who, who a person kind of was paired with or connected with? I think that the big takeaway for me um, from that was less about the, who each person wound up pairing off with but more that um each individual th that there was relationships are only ever between two individuals um it didn't feel like there were group relationships or at least i mean there are but there, that's not where we're talking about here that each individual has a different relationship with every other individual in that space and i feel like that's uh, uh that's something that I really appreciate um, because I do think that each of us, I mean, how many 
friends uh, do you and I share? And yet we each have very different relationships with all of those people. And that's, um, I think that's important to recognize that for the fullness of each of those people there. I mean, to see the, you know, thinking about the, the kind of lead general and kind of how, uh, particularly how he interacts with the one young child that wants to play or picks up chess from watching them play. Uh, and you see this different side and this different humanity in that, in that individual. Um, that's a, uh, I think those kind of moments are powerful and remind us to, to see the fullness and all those people around us. That was a lovely statement. And I've, when you mentioned that, you know, the relationship between two people, it's even more interesting when you think that, oh yeah, there's a translator in between many of these, mm-hmm. <laughs> many of these pairings, Jen, the, the, the translator who knows and who knows how many languages, but is able to, to hop in no matter, you know, in this very international group um, and, and translate for the Russians and translate into or with Spanish and English and Japanese. And I particularly appreciated his, the kind of moments where we were in his mind uh, and he's like bored of certain languages or, or whatever, coming up with games to keep himself occupied. And I can only, I can just imagine some high-level interpreters like, "Oh, we have to talk to the Russians again." Like, come on now, can't we go talk to to the Greeks or whatever it may be? Uh, they, they probably, I'm sure they all have their preferred uh, languages that they want to work in. Yeah. What? W- w- this is probably an impossible question, but what would this novel be without the the opera singer Roxanne Koss? in the middle of it what what if you took music out of this so i was thinking about that actually uh that very question i did so i think they're i kind of divide them into two questions um for me uh the roxanne cost like without roxanne cost the story would be very very different but i do wonder how much of that is music or, or how much of that is uh uh, a personality arts i get the appeal but i have never had the reaction that many people have to mark rothko paintings but you know someone that can make a painting that someone will break down weeping in front of type thing that this she was creating art in that same kind of way and perhaps there's a statement about music being more accessible in some ways than some of those other forms of art um but i think that uh, her personality and uh, you know the the moment when they ask her to go help in the kitchen and she is taken aback and I have never cooked before in my life was in some ways like a perfect moment for me. Like my value is in this place. It is not <laughs> in the kitchen. Okay. Um, and so I, I think that the, like her force of personality and her talent uh, is perhaps it makes everything work, but at the same time, I, I'm not sure it needed to be music for that to be the case, mm-hmm. so to speak. I, I thought that scene was funny. And I, I found a lot of humor in this mm-hmm. up, you know, up, up to, up to a point. And I think I looked at one review or some, some mention of the, the violence in it. And it's interesting. There was, there were, there is violence in it and it's a terrifying situation and there's violence right up in the, in the beginning that sets the stage for that. Uh, but it, 
I, you know, it didn't, that didn't stick with me. Um, it, I think because I was so focused on the relationships between the people and where they were finding hope, uh, that I, I guess it, it, it minimized that a bit. Did you sense the, the violence? The you know, I, I've, I've been trying to, since we decided, since you invited me on to talk about this, one of the things I've been trying to wrap my head around, I still don't have a good answer on, um, is the, the violence of the company's death um, that I, like, I can't quite grasp why that was so important or, or if it was as important. I mean, she, uh, uh, and Patchett clearly felt, I mean, it plays a pretty central role in the kind of setting of the scene for everything. Um, but what is that like, uh, having that violence as a backdrop, what does that mean about the rest of the story? Cause I think it's, uh, it, um, this probably gives, too much away but um in many ways the story feels bookended by violence and so like is that violence almost sets the scene for the part that comes in the middle in some ways so um you know if we were to go back to my 12th grade english teacher who uh, when we read the princess bride was telling us all about how um in a frame story that the frame is the most important part and that the midsection fills out and informs the frame discussion um that in this case maybe in some ways we're intended to take away the the inhumanity of that violence because it's the part that allows the other part to happen but it also destroys the that stuff at the same time so the uh i don't know it's not it's not what i will take away from the story uh, but it is uh, it does feel important from allowing the other sections. And so even if I can't quite put my finger on why. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I feel like we've, we've done good service to Bel Canto. <laughs> um, and I, and I don't want to give away any, 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 any more. Of course there's, I'm sure it, it would, I'd love to have a conversation with you about the resolution and maybe we'll do that after we, after we get off the off the microphones, but do you have any other any I final will, any final thoughts on it? Well, I will just say without giving too much away that I was quite satisfied with the conclusion and and resolution of things. So, uh, without giving anything else away, I, I I felt contented when I left how it uh, left the story behind. I I did as I did as well. Yeah. Well, um, and then. Any, so you've got another few months, I think in calendar years, and you've got another few months left uh, in, in the year. Uh, do you have any big reading goals that you, that you want to make sure you accomplish? So I think I have like, I want to get through eight more books this year, 10 more books, something like that. I'm trying to remember what the goal is left. Um, but I'll confess that, um, and you and I, I think have differing opinions on these uh, probably 75% of those will wind up being audiobooks because it's just very hard to find the time to read uh, at this point in the house. So uh, the runs and uh, the walking have been very good for my, my reading, so to speak, at this point. Oh, I don't think I've talked to anybody else who listens to audiobooks while they run. I, mm -hmm. I've never I've never tried that. Um, I can bike and listen to podcasts, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure why I haven't tried that yet. Um, hmm. Maybe, maybe I'll, try. I'll take. I'll take my long walks at Mill Mountain every weekend and get like 
two and a half, three hours of listening through an audiobook on it and just a, a very enjoyable. I don't, it, it's kind of nice because normally when I'm doing that walk, I'd be thinking about the million things I need to be doing, but I can put on that audiobook and just like leave and go to a different place in some ways. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I, I don't know, but it's not for everybody, but uh, I quite enjoy it. Yeah. Well, and that's the, the part of the alone part. Well, you're, well, you're, you're connect connected with the, the characters or the, the author or the, the voice. Um, how about uh, one final little, little question on connecting with others uh, during this period? Do you have any tips for ways that you're working with groups or the ways, ways you're, you're finding you're able to connect with people well, uh, even if it might not be in person? So I have to confess that I don't uh, I don't need a ton of that, uh, perhaps as as much as other people do. But um, I have really enjoyed, and I um, I don't think you need a podcast in order to do this. Although this was the end that I had, um, you know, this quarantine conversations has been great, mainly because I don't I don't really care whether anybody listens to it or not. It's mainly an excuse to intentionally set aside an hour to chat with folks that I like and. I've liked it. And so, you know, just yes, last night I was talking to a friend from high school and I hadn't talked to her in, you know, probably eight years. And it might have been five years before that that I last talked to her. And this was the moment to say, hey, you know, let's check in. How are you doing? Let's let's talk about these things. And so setting that intentional time feels uh, it's it's both draining because it takes planning, but also I find it really nice to take the time whenever I can. Great. And and that was through your podcast that you, mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. yeah, ter terrific. Which you can listen to Doug's uh, uh, phenomenal insights into quarantine <laughs> life uh, on quarantine I, conversations with my friends. Well, I will, and I will link to that in the, um, in the post that goes along with this podcast. And of course, we'll put that on bookcityroanoke.com. Uh, this is Douglas Jackson. I've been with my friend Brad Stevens, and I've enjoyed a conversation on Bel Canto. 